Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is January the 6th, 2023. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, great to be joining you again at the start of this brand new year. Um, gosh, I can only hope, and we can all only hope and pray that this year uh, turns out better than last year. It's a good thing, I think. Who knows that the Republicans... Uh, control the House of Representatives. I'm not an optimist where either political party is concerned. I think you folks know that if you've been listening to me regularly. George Washington did not believe in the political party structure. You cannot be a slave to two masters. There is no way that politicians can respect the will and wishes of the people they're supposed to represent and at the same time um, not anger the people in the power structure of their own political parties. You know, uh, let's face it, politics is about power. It's about wealth. It's about control. These are the ultimate control freaks. And when you look at the amount of money being pumped into political campaigns, so-called campaign contributions, uh, you realize these aren't campaign contributions. These are bribes. I was a federal agent for 30 years. I wasn't allowed to accept a cup of coffee or a glass of soda when I was on duty. The most that we could accept from anybody was a glass of ice water. And you have billions of dollars pouring into the political parties on all levels to get people elected, and they run up so many IOUs that they actually become the employees of their bribers, the contributors. If you send 50 bucks to a candidate, you're not expecting anything for 50 bucks. When you send the parties 50,000 bucks, yeah, you're expecting something in exchange. So that becomes an employer-employee relationship. The employer writes the check, the employee deposits the check. And when you have these uh, larcenous politicians, boy, that's kind of a redundant statement. When you have larcenous politicians saying, well, we don't take PAC money, political action committee money, wait a minute, (laughs) do you think I'm that stupid? They don't have to get the money from that PAC. The PAC sends the money to the party, and the party becomes the money laundering operation that disperses the money to the politicians, the representatives of that party, who are good little boys and girls and do what they're told or else. The mob kneecaps people, or worse, and political parties defund political campaigns from members of their party that don't follow in line. Think about the term the whip. doesn't sound like a Tony Soprano enforcer (laughs) that I have no clue as to what I'm talking about. And we're watching the drama playing out. I don't even know whether or not McCarthy uh, has gathered enough votes to become speaker. But if you look at some of the statements being made about what the so-called renegades are looking for, They want an opportunity to read bills that are coming up for a vote. What a novel thought. Nancy Pelosi ruled with an iron fist. 
And it was amazing to me that John Boehner, I called him John Boner, uh, I don't know if you saw him a couple of days ago, weeping again, uh, turning on the tear factory. Oh, my God, Nancy Pelosi, what an incredible leader, putting America ahead of herself. And that's how she became so wealthy. Right. Uh-huh. And John Boehner was the Republican Speaker of the House. I don't trust either party. And one of the issues is that apparently the, the few uh, Republicans who don't want to vote for McCarthy said, look, what Pelosi did was wrong. We couldn't get to see bills. We couldn't figure out who was going to be on which party and who was going to get chairmanships. She controlled the House of Representatives. She was a dictator. Okay? And so the concern is, one of the issues that I saw, we need to have two hours to read a bill. Two hours is ridiculous. I don't know if you folks know this, but some of the bills that come up for a vote can run to over a 1,000 pages. Even if you speed read, how in the world do you get through two or a 1,000 pages? And this is dry stuff where every word has a meaning. This is like a contract. This isn't, you know, light reading. This isn't fluff. This isn't an editorial in Better Homes and Gardens. When you look at the legislation, every word has a meaning. The fact they use the instead of an, the fact, you know, whatever it is. Every time they do that with the language, and these are very skilled lawyers, every word is selected carefully, as carefully as a craftsman selects a tool uh, to make a beautiful cabinet. They use every word precisely for a certain purpose to convey a certain meaning. May or must are two different words. Can or may are two different words. And you change those words and you can change the entire meaning of a bill. And these bills impact every American from coast to coast, border to border, and the U.S. possessions. And it is remarkable because, you know, I've been very active with the politicians in Washington. I've actually logged much more time uh, dealing with Washington than I did as an agent. My career with the INS spanned roughly 30 years. I started working with politicians in Washington going back to around 1980, 1981, when I approached then-Senator Al D'Amato to change the reentry law. Didn't do it as an agent, did it as an American, but as an American who had insight because at the time I was an agent. We couldn't get aliens prosecuted for unlawful reentry after deportation because it was only a two-year felony, and prosecutors generally thought it was a waste of time. The penalty wasn't severe enough. And it dawned on me that perhaps if we could make the penalty more severe and more appropriate, especially where criminal aliens are concerned, that maybe we could entice prosecutors into accepting more cases for prosecution. The idea is to discourage illegal aliens who get deported from coming back to the United States. If there's no penalty to an action that people take, they will ignore the law. That's how it works. The laws of nature are immutable. That's why I always loved science. Um, had things gone differently, I probably would have become an engineer. Two of my four children are very successful engineers. I'm proud of all four. But the fact that two of my kids are engineers really excites me because that was what I thought I would be doing with my life. Because the laws of science are immutable. Laws that are legislated are, are nonsense and mean nothing unless you enforce them. And we only enforce the laws basically occasionally. Right? And that's one of the big games that Congress plays. We're going to pass tough laws. 
and then they don't fund the enforcement. They don't hire the agents. We've seen this consistently. So the public says, wow, they just passed this new law. How exciting. Yeah, but there's no one out there enforcing the law. So what difference does it make? You see, that's how the game gets played. But I was successful in getting Senator D'Amato to listen to me. <clears throat> he told me that if I could get my colleagues to speak with his staff, that he would consider changing the law. Well, over 30 of my colleagues over a six-month period spoke with D'Amato's staff. Some wanted to go alone. Some wanted to go with five other people. Some went anonymously. I swore a couple of people wanted to walk into his office with paper bags over their heads. People are strange. They might be courageous to go out and arrest a bad guy with a gun, but tell him to go talk to a senator, and suddenly they freaked out. But at the end of the day, it worked. And the aggregated felon reentry law was enacted in the early 1980s and, and went to full uh, penalty by the end of the 80s, which made unlawful reentry by criminal aliens a 20-year felony. And the U.S. attorney started accepting more and more of those cases because you could put a case like that together in a matter of hours. Do a major criminal conspiracy case, and it can take months, it can take years, it can involve a dozen agents and wiretaps and the expenditure of money and surveillance and all kinds of stuff. Reentry after deportation is as simple as it gets. You run the fingerprints of the alien in custody, the fingerprints kick back, and we find the executed warrant of deportation that has the alien's fingerprint on it. We do a fingerprint analysis. Yes, these fingerprints match. We query the database over at Citizenship and Immigration Services. Back then, it was the INS to determine if the alien had ever applied for permission to return to the United States after being deported. If you can find no such record, they certify the fact that no such record exists. You go to the grand jury, and those are the elements of the crime. You have an alien in custody who was previously deported. The fingerprints match. That proves that the person was previously deported. You have the certified copy of the document that says there is no application that was ever filed by that individual to lawfully return to the United States. You now have all the elements of a crime. You get an indictment. You go out. You arrest the person. And we're off to the races. How easy is that? And in fact, during the administration of Donald Trump, that was the most frequently prosecuted felony that the Justice Department pursued. Very effective. We use it against terror suspects, drug suspects, all kinds of bad guys to take them off the street, to disrupt criminal and terrorist operations. Does it get better than that? And yet part of the con game, and you've heard this often enough from journalists, so-called, and political leaders, so-called, oh, immigration law violations, oh, it's administrative. It's like jaywalking. It's a civil problem. It's not criminal. Yeah, it is criminal, and they're lying that there's two sets of immigration laws. That's part of the immigration con game. We're going to talk about the immigration con game in depth, in depth today. So the con is nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving. It's a waste of time. It's jaywalking. No, it's not. If you look at the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, they laid it out. Border security is national security. The terrorists can't come here. They can't attack us. That's how simple this is. It's a fundamental concept. That's why we lock our doors at night to keep out burglars and robbers and home invaders, right? We have a peephole, a door lock, and a doorbell on our houses. Why? So that we can determine who we let in and we don't let in people that want to hurt us. It's as reasonable as it gets. That's what the immigration laws are about. There's nothing racist about the immigration laws. 
If you go to Title VIII, United States Code Section 1182, it lays out who we are supposed to keep out of the country. So notwithstanding the lies and, and histrionics of the politicians and their, and their lying accomplices in, in, the, in the so-called journalism industry, it's aliens who have dangerous communicable diseases. Think COVID, think Ellis Island as a, as a huge quarantine station run by public health and immigration, right? What could be more reasonable? Keep out aliens with dangerous diseases. Keep out aliens who are dangerously mentally ill, sex offenders, deviants, that sort of thing. Aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, fugitives from justice. Aliens who are human traffickers and drug smugglers. And we work our way down to aliens who would become a public charge or aliens who, if they worked, would displace American workers and destroy the wage structure for hardworking Americans and lawful immigrant workers in the United States. That's it. There is no distinction by race, no distinction by religion, no distinction by national origin. It's simply about keeping out individuals who pose a threat to national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans, to put it succinctly. What in the world is wrong with enforcing those fundamental laws? Absolutely nothing. But this is the con. Immigrants do the work Americans won't do. Well, if we're using the term immigrant, it sounds like they're here legitimately. We're talking about illegal aliens, but Jimmy Carter uh, (laughs) thought he was George Orwell and mandated back in the 70s that immigration employees no longer use the term illegal alien to describe illegal aliens. Now, the definition of alien, as defined by the Immigration and Nationality Act, which is that huge body of law that immigration agents are supposed to enforce, supposed to enforce. An alien is defined simply as any person who is not a citizen or national of the United States. Where's the insult? It doesn't say that these are people who smell bad, they're immoral, they're dirty, they're they're ignorant, they're, they're crazy. No, they're not a citizen. That's what it means. It's like saying, Charlie is my friend, but he's not my relative because he's not in my family. Is that an insult or a statement of reality? Every country uses a word comparable to the word alien, except the United States. So then we were told they were undocumented workers. And then they said, no, they're undocumented immigrants. Undocumented. So if a guy robs a bank and doesn't have a bank account at that bank, is he robbing the bank or making an undocumented withdrawal? Think about that. If a guy is drunk out of his mind and he's driving a car 90 miles an hour through the center of town and he gets pulled over by the police, is he a drunk driver or is he a sobriety-challenged motorist? This game of semantics is dangerous. It's designed to mislead people into not understanding the issues. Oh, we never let people in the right way. You know, it's not fair. It's not reasonable. America admits more than a million lawful immigrants every year. These people are immediately placed on the path to citizenship. That's more than the rest of the world combined. But if you talk to the globalists, you know what they're going to tell you? We are too tough. We are too mean. We are too rotten. You know, if you ever threw a party, the first thing you have to ask yourself is how many people can we invite? How big is the budget? How big is the dining room table? Or how big is the hall that we're renting? Right? It's a wedding, a bar mitzvah, confirmation, whatever. The Thanksgiving dinner, Easter dinner, Passover. We're going to have people over. Okay. First consideration is how much money, how big is the budget, how much food can we serve? And sometimes, most times, you find out that, gee whiz, we wanted to invite 43 people, but we only have the budget to invite 20. 
So now you sit there with a pen and you're drawing lines through the names of people you would have invited, but for the fact you don't have the wherewithal provide food for all of them, or you don't have a table big enough to seat all of them, or whatever. It's not that you don't like them or that you're a hater or you're unfair. It's that you're a realist. If you had a pizza pie sitting in your house, how many of your friends could come over to have pizza? Forty? Yes, we will cut the slices of pizza into five little pieces, and we will give you an hors d'oeuvre, a pizza hors d'oeuvre. Forget pizza pie. We're having pizza hors d'oeuvres. That's crazy. So immigration, first and foremost, the consideration is, are we overwhelming America? Are we overwhelming the job market? Are we overwhelming the environment? There's a drought ongoing in the West, notwithstanding all the storms that have been hitting them. Serious drought. Lakes are suddenly down to the the, the lake bottoms, rivers down to the river bottoms. They're finding dead bodies and cars and all sorts of things that had fallen into the water decades ago, and the water is going down. The average person needs 100 gallons of water per day for sanitary purposes, meaning showering, washing hands, flushing toilets, brushing teeth, to drink, and to cook with. 100 gallons of water. That's what some studies show. It's been stated that Biden has permitted 5 million illegal aliens into the United States. 5 million. And what does that mean? 5 million people each need 100 gallons of water per day. That's 500 million gallons of water today are being consumed by people who have no right to be here. But meanwhile, we don't have the water. We're concerned about power shortages as we go electric. We're cause of concern. Every person here needs electricity and sewerage and education and health care and transportation. We are overwhelming the system. When you get on an airplane, you can't seat more people than there are seats on the airplane or more people than the airplane is safely able to take off with because of the weight that each person represents. I've been on some small airplanes where they ask people to move around the cockpit. Could you please sit in the front because it's an issue of weights and balance. I I did a little single-engine flying when I was a kid, and that's a serious issue. You can't overload an airplane without a tragedy. Put too much weight on an airplane or don't distribute it properly, the plane makes a big smoking hole in the ground, right? What's the controversy? You're not letting me on the airplane because you're a racist? No, I'm not letting you on the airplane because you don't have a ticket and there's too many people on the plane right now. That's the insanity that we're being subjected to. And the game that's being played, because of what I've seen firsthand in Washington, I was approached by members of Congress that I was working with. They wanted me to endorse certain bills. And in those days, I was told that I had a pretty persuasive voice that people from both parties tended to listen to me. I had testified before something like, I think, 16 or 17 hearings in the House and Senate. So they reached out, could you please this legislation? And I remember one or two cases where I said, no, there are elements of of the bill that I don't like. And they said, look, endorse it the way we wrote it, Mr. Cutler. And once it gets to that point, overnight, just before the vote, what we're going to do when it comes out of committee is add amendments, and there won't be any time for anybody to read the amendments. I said, wait, let me understand this. You're going to get this thing through committee, and then overnight you're going to add, I don't know, 35 pages, and how long will they have to vote, the members of Congress? Oh, just a matter of a few minutes. They've got to go down there, and they've got to vote. So they won't even get to see the amendments. 
And I said, this is normal? This is ethical in your world? Imagine walking into a car dealership, and the salesman comes up to you with that big grin and that garish bow tie or whatever it is he's wearing, the plaid jacket, and he says, Mr. Cutler, you want to buy a car or don't you? I've got a stopwatch, and you've got four minutes and 59 seconds. Make up your mind. You'd walk out of the dealership. You'd say, are you crazy? I'm going to go home. I'm going to think about it. You don't have the chance to go home. You're either going to buy it now or the car goes away. I want you to think back to Nancy Pelosi talking about Obamacare. Whether you agreed with it or not isn't the issue. What enraged me, what made my head almost explode, was when Nancy looked into the camera and had the chutzpah to say, of course she was being honest though, you won't know what's in the bill till you vote for it. Which goes back to the point of not having the opportunity to read the bill before you vote. Talk about buying a cat in a sack. Imagine going into a car dealership and you say, I need a new car. The guy says, great, we've got them. And you say, what can you sell me? And the guy says, the car I could sell you is under that tarp in the corner of the showroom. So you go running over and you try to lift up the tarp and the guy grabs your hand. He says, oh, no, 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 no peeking. No peeking. No, 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 no. Do you want the car or don't you? Well, how many doors does it have? It's got some doors. Is it a hatchback? Maybe. Is it a stick shift? Is it an automatic? Yes, it's one or the other. What's the color? It's a nice color. How big is the engine? Big enough. Does it have air conditioning? Maybe. Now, do you want to buy the car or don't you? Well, how will I find out what the car looks like and what what the equipment is? Well, after you give me your check, We will have the car delivered to your house, and then you get to take the tarp off, and then you get to discover what you just bought. Would you buy that car? Would you deal with that dealer? This is how Washington plays games. And these games cost Americans their lives, destroy opportunities for Americans, create mayhem. This is not how a democratic republic is supposed to operate. They're supposed to be transparency, and they are as transparent as lead bricks. And so you have some members of the Congress who are saying this has to stop, and they're right. But you see, politics has always been a con game, always been a con game. It's a magic act. You know, I like to use the analogy of the magician who promises to cut his lovely assistant in half. So this gorgeous young lady comes out in a little skimpy outfit and she bounces all over the stage and the lights are changing and the smoke is billowing and the music is dramatic and she gets into this contraption and all of a sudden you see this woman apparently cut in half and everybody goes crazy. Oh my God, he cut her in half. Now, look, if that magician really cut that girl in half, He's going to go to jail. No one's ever going to work with him again, and that poor girl will be buried. We know he's not going to hurt her assistant, his assistant, right? So he creates this elaborate illusion using lighting and blue smoke and mirrors and devices and depth movements of his hand and misdirection. All kinds of stuff is going on so that it's impossible to see what he's doing and how he does it. And at the end of the act, the young lady bounces up on stage, takes a bow, and everybody's happy. They've been entertained, and it was a night at the magic show. Well, here, if you poll most Americans, they will tell you they want our immigration laws enforced fairly but effectively. 
They want our borders to protect us against drugs, criminals, terrorists, and disease. That's not a secret, not a mystery. And the politicians know this. So what do they do? Just like the magician, this isn't about entertainment. It's about conning Americans. So they tell you, we're going to meet your demands. We're going to give you that secure border. Really? They can't give you a secure border because the people they work for, and it's not us, boys and girls, it's the bribers, the people writing those huge checks, the globalists, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, all these charitable organizations, all these NGO, non-government organizations, these non-profits. Boy, there's a joke, non-profit. Yeah, uh-huh, sure thing. So they're the ones who are calling the shots, and they're the ones who, if they actually secure the border, would stop writing the checks. You don't do what the boss says, you're fired. So the politicians create an elaborate illusion that they're meeting the demands of their constituents by passing laws and not providing the assets and resources to enforce the laws or by playing other games. And I fear that's what we're witnessing today. Back when they tried to pass comprehensive immigration reform, part of the con game, this was around 2005, 2006, they testified at a number of hearings about this insanity, we were told a whole bunch of lies. Lie number one, we can't arrest 11 million. It's remarkable. It's been 11 million for the last, what, 15 years? People keep coming, but the numbers don't go up. It's like the clown car. No matter how many people get out of the clown car, there's still more people coming, right? We can't arrest 11 million. So the best we can do is bring them out of the shadows, and now we'll know who they are, and now the sun will shine. Really? How are you going to get them out of the shadows if they don't voluntarily come forward? There's no agents to go look for them, right? But they're going to come out of the shadows. And now we'll know who they are. Really? There's no capacity to interview them because the numbers are so huge. There is no capacity, certainly, to do field investigations, to go out there and show photographs and knock on doors. Do you know this guy? How long has he lived here? No. We're talking 11 million. The DACA applicants weren't interviewed because there was no resources to interview less than a million, fewer than a million applicants for DACA, which was another scam, and we'll get to that momentarily. So we're told we'll know who they are. No, they won't. They will walk into an office and lie about their names. Oh, yes, they will be fingerprinted, but here's the dirty secret that you may not know. Sometimes fingerprints don't work, and sometimes when you're dealing with other countries, especially in the third world, fingerprints are meaningless. Either the system doesn't work or it's not compatible with our system or corruption is so endemic that for 10 or 15 or $20, you could go to an official in those countries and they will erase your criminal history. Now, this is critical because it only took 19 hijackers on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. So you say, well, if the guy gives you his name, well, he's going to lie about his name. The fingerprints aren't going to contradict him. So you think he is who he claims he is. And even if the person gives you his real name, we have another problem that you may not have thought of, but having been an immigration agent for 30 years, believe me, I've thought of it, I've encountered it, uh, it frustrated me beyond words. Many of the people we're talking about from the Middle East, from Asia, from other countries, do not use the English alphabet. They use the Chinese alphabet. 
they use the Hebrew alphabet, the Arabic alphabet, and so forth. There are multiple ways of spelling the same name. Just like the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah just passed last month, the Festival of Lights, it generally parallels the timing of Christmas, both joyous occasions. How do you spell Hanukkah? Well, if you go look it up, it could be spelled H-A-N-U-K-A-H. It could be spelled C-H-A-N-N-U-K-A-H and so forth. So people could do that. They can also play another little game. In Europe, dates of birth or, or dates, period, <clears throat> are written backwards from the way it's here in the United States. In America, today is January the 6th, 2023. 1-6-2023. In Europe, it's the 6th day of January 2023. So if you're in Europe, you would probably write 6-1-2023. What does that mean? We just doubled the number of possibilities for identifying an individual and then they look at you with a blank look and they say, oh, I made a mistake. That's how we write it in my home country. So between misspelling, flipping the dates, lying about their identities, lying about when they came here, lying about their affiliation with criminal or terrorist organizations or criminal histories that we are not able to readily determine, what are we getting out of the shadows? And the aliens who know that they're wanted, know that we would spot them immediately and recognize them, they don't come out of the shadows. That's like the getaways that have been running into the country by the hundreds of thousands. But we're told, don't worry about it. Everything is fine. Well, we'll figure it out. So let me tell you about an article that appeared. Uh, and this was, hang on one moment. Bear with me, folks. Let's go to the, the videotape, as they say. Um, my goodness, I had it here. There we are. Sorry about that. Forgive me. The Washington Times published a report. This was September 27, 2022. You ready for this title? FBI money request signals ongoing problems in vetting Afghan evacuees. And the article starts out by saying, tucked inside Democrats' new spending bill, is $15.3 million in emergency money for the FBI to investigate Afghan evacuees brought to the United States during last year's chaotic airlift. Congress is pumping the money into the FBI just a month after Christopher Wray told lawmakers that the Bureau was having to conduct, quote, lots of interviews, unquote, to keep track of Afghans and obliquely warned of a number of disruptions of activities. What does that even mean? Terrorist attacks, perhaps? Lawmakers said that the money is the latest evidence of a hasty evacuation that jeopardizes American safety. Quote, the Biden administration's decision to let tens of thousands of unvetted Afghans into our country first ask the question first and then ask the questions later has backfired, said Representative Thomas P. Tiffany, Wisconsin Republican. Quote, we warned well over a year ago this would happen, and two Inspector General reports have since confirmed those fears. But the White House refused to listen, and the horses are already out of the barn. The FBI did not provide any details on how it planned to spend the money, merely repeating the White House short explanation when it asked Congress for the money earlier this month. Wow. Wow. And you know I write articles for Front Page Magazine. Back on uh, November 7th, I wrote an article, Former Defense Department Contract Translator Arrested for Alleged Ties to ISIS. 
Here's a guy working in Afghanistan with our military, interviewing Afghan refugees, supposedly, to figure out whether or not it was safe to let them into the United States and so forth. Meanwhile, this guy is now alleged to have been working directly in conjunction with ISIS. And by the way, what is he being prosecuted for? Lying on his application for a security clearance, not aiding, abetting, and providing material support to a terrorist organization. And no one's even asking about how he got to be a United States citizen, presuming he is if he was working as a translator. Perhaps he's not. But he's certainly here in the United States. So how do we let him in? And if he's an alien and he lied on his application, then we should be prosecuting him so that if he's prosecuted successfully, or he is being prosecuted, but if they're successful, then we should be able to deport him afterwards because we don't need an ISIS affiliate running around our country. But guess what? Alejandro Mayorkas has stated that when aliens lie on applications for United States citizenship, a ploy used by many terrorists, by the way, and as I've mentioned before in this program and elsewhere, when our special forces went in and took out bin Laden and seized his library, among the documents they found in his library was, number one, a copy of the 9-11 Commission report, a report to which I contributed, and number two, an application for U.S. citizenship. And what did Majorca say? If you lie to get citizenship, this government of this administration will do everything in its power to protect you because you are an American worthy of protection. We don't want you to go to sleep at night worrying. We will allow you to stay here, and we will take no action against you. So one of the key methods of entry and embedding for terrorists, immigration fraud, will go uninvestigated and unprosecuted by Mr. Mayorkas. Not a shock. It should be. Keeps me awake at night. I've arrested terrorists. But the point is that this is the guy that when he ran Citizenship and Immigration Services, what did he say? You better get to yes. Told that to the adjudicators. Approve those applications. There was an inspector general report about how when he worked in the Obama administration, the FBI and agents of Homeland Security Investigations, which is a wing of DHS, came to him and said, these applications from this Iranian company have to be denied because we believe that company is affiliated with Hezbollah, a terrorist organization working throughout Latin America and, in fact, around the world, but they're actually in Latin America by the thousands working with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood narcotics into the United States to kill Americans and to flood so many people into the country, which also raises money for terrorist operations for Iran, but also provides opportunities for sleeper agents to be pushed into the United States without detection. And the FBI said this company has an apparent affiliation with Hezbollah. And you know what? New York has said, too bad, I'm approving the petitions. ABC News did a multiple part series on this betrayal by Mayorkas. And then he also was involved in the politicization of the approval of certain visas. What happened? Nothing. Obama made him the number two at Homeland Security, part of why I called DHS the Department of Homeland Surrender. I also called that because of the way that George W. Bush put the agency together. They were never supposed to fold other law enforcement agencies in with immigration and then cut immigration in half between Customs and Border Protection and ICE. All of that basically kneecapped immigration law enforcement. That was done by George W. Bush after 9-11 after it was determined that 9-11 and other such attacks were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system. This is something that I discussed on Newsmax uh, in point of fact last week. 
I'll be back on Newsmax, as I understand it, on Wednesday this coming week. I'm happy they give me so many opportunities to be heard, and they don't censor me. There's no pre-programmed interview, and then if you say something they don't like, they say, oh, Mr. Cutler, we're withdrawing your, your invitation. We're going in a different direction. No, Newsmax doesn't do that. Other networks do. You'd be shocked. Newsmax simply says, Mr. Cutler, would you like to come on? And I remember saying to a couple of the producers, well, do you want to know what I want to talk about? They said, yeah, when you're in front of the camera. And what's convenient is the camera's in my house. Through the miracle of Skype and Zoom, I'm able to do TV from home so I don't have to spend half the day going to the studio and coming back and so forth. It's very convenient, and it gives me an opportunity to do something that I've been doing, particularly after 9-11, and that's my best effort to educate as many Americans as possible about how our government is failing us and costing many Americans their lives and leaving, it at ri- leaving us at risk for the next terrorist attack. So you see the lies. Nobody talks about citizenship and immigration services. We all hear the glib nonsense. If you put up a 20-foot wall, the aliens will come with a 25-foot ladder. They don't need a 25-foot ladder. You give an alien a green card. You give them parole status, which they're now doing, by the way. Uh, Center for Immigration Studies did a, a piece about that. So the Biden administration, just like Obama, has found a way to circumvent the legislative process through executive orders and the use of parole, and DACA was another good example. The Deferred Action Childhood Arrival Program basically paralleled what was in the DREAM Act because the DREAM Act didn't pass. And Obama at the time said, well, Congress has failed to act, so I'm going to act. Congress didn't fail to act, boys and girls. Voting no is not a failure to act. It's an action taken by Congress after much deliberation because they realized that it would be dangerous to national security and public safety and other issues by having a massive amnesty program. Now, for all that we're told about how terrible the word alien is, you must not ever use the word alien. It's a word of hate. And then we have the DREAM Act. And most people have forgotten that the DREAM Act acronym, everyone thinks, oh, it's the American Dream. No, the American Dream doesn't exist anymore, at least not for Americans or for very few Americans. I mean, just add insult to injury, rub a little salt in that wound, right? No, the DREAM Act is an acronym, and what it stands for is Development, Release, and Education for Alien Minors. Alien Minors. Wait a minute, they use the word alien. Is lightning going to strike them dead? No, the word alien was perfectly acceptable because they needed the A in DREAM Act to push their corrupt, crooked betrayal of America and Americans. So the word alien is part of the DREAM Act, but don't you say alien, don't try it at home, they will probably come to you. God only knows one of those little electronic devices might even rack you out, and they say, Charlie over there in the Bronx, that alien, go get him. But you could say DREAM Act, Development, Relief, and Education of Alien Minors. My goodness gracious. Think about that. Then we're told the immigration system is broken, right? And what's the solution? Take a broken system to give lawful status to millions of aliens without the ability to interview them or know who they are. What could possibly go wrong? But this is all part of the immigration con game. For America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. Really? 
How about for America to lead, we need to do what General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, did after Sputnik was launched, and he went on TV and immediately said, we're going to make sure that every American child gets the best possible education with emphasis on science and math. Why? So that America can lead. Eisenhower didn't say, quick, get me my phone, I'm going to call India or some other country. So these are all betrayals. This is death by a thousand slices. The immigrants commit much less crime than Americans. Actually, lawful immigrants probably do commit fewer crimes. They don't want to lose their green cards. Illegal aliens are much more likely to commit crimes. How do I know? Well, when I was at the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA in the late 80s, I decided that while I was there to help them put cases together and gather intelligence so that we could develop actionable investigations into major drug smuggling operations, I said, you know what? Maybe they can help me figure out what we're doing up here. So I asked DEA to provide me with all their arrest records. And back then, we didn't get spreadsheets. We got physical arrest records. And there's a saying that says, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. So I took about a week, and I came to work one day. And there's my desk up at Unified Intelligence, DEA, New York City, on the west side of Manhattan. And I can't find my desk, because on top of it, under it, around it are boxes. It's under my chair, on my chair, and as I'm standing there, more clerks from the file room with hand trucks are bringing in more boxes with more arrest records. It was piled to the ceiling. And as I'm compiling my statistics using a handheld calculator, this is like 1987, 1988, it was crazy, they're bringing me more boxes. When the dust finally settled, it shocked me. Because in New York City, according to DEA arrest records back then, over 60% of the people that we were arresting at DEA for major drug trafficking crimes and related crimes, firearms, extortion, et cetera, money laundering, over 60%, 60% were identified as foreign-born. Nationally, it was 30%. Bad as things are, I promise you, especially back then, 60% of New Yorkers were not foreign-born, 60%. So what happened to this notion that the immigrants are much less likely to commit crime, including illegal aliens? Simply a lie. When all else fails, lie. And they lie, and they lie, and they lie. And they make accusations, and they come up with dumb arguments. If you can't deport them all, the best thing we can do is give them citizenship. Of course, that's not going to incentivize more people to run the border, will it? And then we're told, well, they're already here. Really? Well, what you may not realize is that once we give lawful status to an alien, and this really does make sense, okay, that alien immediately has the absolute right to petition to bring in all of their spouses and their minor children. So if on average, let's say you, you legalize 25 million uh, Back during the Trump administration, Princeton University, I believe, and I think it was MIT, estimated there were about 22 million illegals in the country. And I think that was a very low number. But let's go with it. And let's say we've admitted 5 million more and whatever. So let's have round numbers. So let's say there's an amnesty, God forbid, and 25 million aliens step out of the shadows and say, here I am. Oh, and by the way, each of those people have four children on average back in their home country. They're not here. So now we wind up admitting 100 million children who must overnight by law be enrolled in our schools. 
What does that do to the educational system? What does it do to the environment, the need for water, electricity, sewerage, housing, health care, transportation? I, I wrote a piece a while back where I said they should really call any notion of an amnesty the Overwhelm America Act. Years earlier, in 2006, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times that then-Senator Jeff Sessions quoted from the floor of the Senate because I said they should really rename comprehensive immigration reform the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, providing illegal aliens whose identities can't be verified with identity documents that enable them to build an entire um, identity for themselves here in the United States. And we know that the 19 hijackers of 9-11 in the aggregate used more than 300 false names and identities. What are we doing? And what are we hearing from the Republicans today? We're going to hire Border Patrol. We don't need 87,000 IRS agents. We need 87,000 Border Patrol. Well, look, I'm a fan of the Border Patrol. But once aliens get past the border, the Border Patrol mission ends. Get 50 to 100 miles to within the interior, and generally the Border Patrol is done. ICE takes over. We have about 6,000 ICE agents, and because of the way Bush put together ICE, ICE involves customs, which has nothing to do with immigration, PSA, which has nothing to do with immigration. They go after money laundering. They go after intellectual property theft. They go after kiddie porn. They go after everything and anything, not just immigration. Why? To distract the agents. They can't do the job. And when you have two separate agencies, Customs and Border Protection versus ICE, then you have third agency rules, which means you can't share information readily with other agencies, and it goes on and on and on. John Hostetler, out of frustration, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee back when Bush was in the White House, and I testified for John a whole bunch of times, and at one of those hearings, I believe it was in March of 2005, Hostetler said that the way DHS was put together by the Bush administration violated the Homeland Security Act and gave us immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, and therefore protect the American people. This was just a couple of years after 9-11. So yesterday I was watching Hannity on Fox, and I was stunned because Hannity had Luis Gutierrez on. Luis Gutierrez, if the name sounds familiar, was a congressman from Illinois. He's no longer in Congress, pushing comprehensive immigration reform on the Hannity program. Let that sink in. And what did Hannity say? Well, everybody wants to come here. This isn't such a good idea. Okay. And Gutierrez is showing all these people streaming across the border. He says, but look, if you don't legalize them, we have a two-tier system, and these people will be abused and they will be exploited. And the way you end exploitation is give them a path to citizenship. Then they'll be the same as everybody else. And Hannity reluctantly said, well, if we could know they're not criminals and we know there's no health issue, especially if they can support themselves, well, just a minute there, Mr. Hannity. If they're supporting themselves, they're taking jobs that rightfully should be going to Americans and lawful immigrants. But you see, this way you flood the labor pool. Labor is a commodity. You push wages through the floorboards. You have more poverty, right? And you're screwing over more Americans. And that's what the Democrats want because... As I wrote in another article, for the Democrats to succeed, Americans must fail. In full disclosure, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. The Democrats I used to vote for are not the Democrats of today. The Democrats of today are not liberal. By the way, if you're truly liberal, then you are a staunch supporter of the First Amendment. I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. Really? 
the cancel culture Democrats, the fascists and totalitarians of the leftist lunatic party that calls themselves the Democrats are anything but liberal. We need to stop calling them liberals. They're not. They're totalitarians and they're fascists. I wish they were liberal. So it's, again, lie after lie, and the Republicans are happy. Oh, if we could get all these people to work, and as long as they're not on welfare, how much further can we suppress the wages of American workers? Because that, at the end of the day, is part of what this is about. Flood America with foreign workers, and it's not just the illegals. It's the high-tech workers. Alan Greenspan testifies for Chuck Schumer back on April 30, 2009, at a hearing about comprehensive reform. And he talked about wage suppression of the working poor in America, but it only minimally suppresses the wages, although the cities and states wind up with lots of expenses, as we're seeing now, right? But he also said that we must do what Bill Gates wants. And what did Bill Gates want? An unlimited number of high-tech H-1B visas. Why? Because American high-tech workers who Greenspan had the chutzpah to refer to as the privileged elite are earning too much damn money. Who ever heard of that? And the media refused to cover it. And I had a major argument with Bob Goodlatte uh, not long after that, uh, around 2014, I guess it was, 2013. Goodlatte was at the time the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He refused to talk about it and finally told me how his son would love to see lots of Indian programmers come to America by the thousands because they're brilliant and wonderful. And I said, what about the Americans? Are they chopped liver? And he ended the meeting. Turned out his son, Bobby Goodlatte, got his thought with Zuckerberg at Facebook and had made millions of dollars by undercutting American wages. So here's Greenspan telling the Senate, the Senate Immigration Subcommittee, the solution to wage inequality is to make lots of American high-tech workers compete with their foreign counterparts who will work for much less money. And as a consequence, through the pressure of competition, we can get rid of that wage premium we're paying to American high-tech workers and thereby greatly reduce inequality in wages between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. So this is exactly what the Democrats want. You destroy the middle class, you make it impossible for Americans to support themselves without being subsidized by the government, and once you are dependent on the government for money, the way that a drug addict is dependent on the pusher for his or her drugs, you own them. There are strings attached, right? This is the immigration con game. Instead of saying immigration is supposed to protect American lives and American jobs, they could care less, and they will stoop to anything. And what really lit my fuse is that you just had a statement uh, by, um, by Joe Biden. You know, I, I have to tell you, Joe Biden is kind of like the Howard Stern, you know, the shock jock. Uh, you, you listen wondering what in the hell he's going to say next. So earlier today, the Jerusalem Post posted a headline. You're not going to believe it. If you take blood pressure pills, take it now because you're going to need it. U.S. President Biden compares illegal immigrants to Jews fleeing from Nazi Germany. The subtitle. A reporter asked Biden during a press briefing if he thinks immigration is a human right, to which he, Biden, replied by comparing illegal immigrants to Jews fleeing Nazi Germany. Folks, this is insanity. Political asylum simply means a person, because of his or her race, religion, sexual orientation, 
political beliefs um, or tribal affiliation faces persecution or worse in their home country, not because they're living in poverty, not because there's a crime problem. If crime is an issue, half of America today, the blue half of America, should qualify for asylum somewhere else, right? Well, I guess they're looking for asylum in states like Florida when you think about it. But, I mean, all joking aside, and the article went on and said, U.S. President Joe Biden compared the illegal immigrants at the southern border to Jews fleeing Nazi Germany during World War II during a press briefing about border security and enforcement on Thursday evening. A reporter asked Biden if he thinks that immigration is a human right. He replies, well, I think it is a human right if your family is being persecuted. I thought it was a human right for, you know, Jews in Germany to be able to go to, get, to escape and get help where they could. These aliens that are coming across the border, for the most part, are not being persecuted. They're not suffering because of their race or their religion. And, and look at what happened with the Boston Marathon bombing back in 2013. The Tsarnaya family from Russia came to America, applied for asylum, and said, we can't go back to Russia because they will persecute us and maybe kill us. Okay. We granted them asylum. And what did they do right after that? Went back to Russia. And what did Congress do? They passed a law that said if you apply for asylum and then go back to that country after you're approved, and there's no regime change, they can prosecute you. Do we need that law? No, it's part of the Magic Act. The fact that you go back proves you lied. You don't need a law. You need more agents to investigate the fraud, but they don't want the more agents. We've never had interior enforcement. That's the key to effective border security, because the aliens aren't only coming across the Mexican border. They're coming in through the Canadian border. They're coming in through international airports. They're coming in, and drugs are coming in through unauthorized landing strips in the middle of the night. They're coming in along our coastlines, and not just at seaports, but we have 95,000 miles of coastline. And all of these people have one common destination, the interior of the United States. Now, once you get past the border, they're home free. When I testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee back in 2013, I was addressing the policies of the Obama administration which, by the way, weren't as bad, comparatively speaking, as what Biden has done to us. And I said that the Obama policies had, in essence, fired the starter's pistol for aspiring illegal aliens from all over the world. And for those folks, the finish line is the border of the United States. Because once they get past the border, they are home free. Between sanctuary policies and the lack of resources and a will to enforce immigration laws, there are no adverse consequences to running our borders, committing visa fraud, or otherwise finding a way to enter the United States. And that's the truth. And this violates the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission, all part of the immigration con game. And immigration has become a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign tourists, foreign students, and for the immigration lawyers out there, clients. And now it's also for the NGOs, because I wrote an article about how a former Biden employee who worked on the transition team at DHS left the team, went to work for a company that had never done work for immigration before or DHS before, that got a no competitive bid contract to the tune of tens of millions of dollars to house the aliens coming across the border. And it turned out that according to an inspector general report as detailed by Judicial Watch, $17 million was paid to that outfit for beds that were never used. 
So why don't we call the people coming across the border, if we can't call them aliens, and they are, and that's not a pejorative, why don't we call them, not migrants, because you can be a migrant and be an American. We have American migrant workers. Migrant, again, ignores the immigration element. So why don't we call them what they are? Clients for immigration law firms and clients for NGOs, non-government organizations. And that's why this outrageous piece of legislative detritus that was the spending bill included billions of dollars, not to secure the border, but to address the border by providing resources to house the migrants, as they call them, as they come into the United States. My goodness gracious. No, these are the clients for the law firms and the clients for the NGOs and the clients for the religious organizations that are working with them and being paid handsomely to take care of them. This is a money-making operation. And the way it works in Washington is you give a government contract to a company, and then the company down the road makes a campaign contribution. So the money goes round and round. Like the music goes round and round, the money goes round and round. That's what this is really all about. And along the way, we are undermining national security, public safety, public health, and the jobs and wages of Americans. So the one obvious question that never gets asked at the White House, maybe we could contact our journalists that we know and ask them, why in the world don't you ask at the next news conference, how are these policies helpful or good for the average American family or for America? I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that we should be talking about America first any longer. Yeah, you, you heard me right. I don't want to hear about America first. I want to hear about Americans first. Because today, when you talk about America first, you're talking about American companies. You know, companies like GE that after the bailout moves manufacturing to China, that's part of America first because it's an American company. Baloney. We need to focus on Americans first. We, the people. That's the point that we should all be making with our friends and neighbors. We need to sit down with our neighbors because I will tell you right up front, the law, common sense, the facts, and morality are all on our side. The reason we're at odds with each other is because we have been conned and swindled. The news media has turned into a propaganda machine. We can undo it by sharing the facts and the truth. And that's what my program is all about. That's what my articles for Front Page are all about. Please go to my website, michaelcutler.net. If you like my program, I have a simple request. Go to where you can get the link to my podcast and send it to as many people as you can. Become part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. Congress is about to be back in session. We need to make certain that Congress finally, truly represents we, the people. And you know what? We, the people, can make that happen. Be part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. I thank you for listening. I hope you have a great weekend. And please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Meanwhile, I wish all of you a happy, healthy New Year. Stay safe. Stay warm. Have a great weekend. See you next week.